Hello and welcome to another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. It's Friday, October 6, 2017. Baseball playoffs are officially underway. And today's show features a lengthy discussion off the top with Brandon Marcus, host of the Mostly Banner podcast, co-worker of mine from back in the day at NFL Network. And we actually recorded this yesterday. We preview all divisional round series. We recap the wild card round called the Yankees and Diamondbacks win. We talk about the NLDS series that kick off that actually take place tonight, game one. Everybody plays on this Friday. And the ALDS are previewed too. Yankees losing to the Indians in game one along with the Astros putting a spanking on the Red Sox in Game 1. We preview all those series, talk all baseball playoffs with Brandon Marcus, and then it's the return of Matt Gothard coming back on the Money Mitch Effect to talk nothing else but betting lines. We look at college football extensively, tell you what to take, what not to take, when to listen to us, and when not to listen to us, and also dive a little bit into the NFL season as well. Baseball, college football, betting advice on the Money Mitch Effect. Thank you for rocking with the best. Let's start the show. All right, it's time to talk about playoff baseball on the Money Mitch Effect. And back on the show to do just that, friend of the program, recurring guest, the host of the Mostly Banner podcast, and a friend of mine from the NFL Network days, Brandon Marcus. Thanks for rejoining the show. What's up, dude? It's always good to talk to you. It is, man. It, it's a great time of year. The sports world is maybe at its apex, some would argue. Uh, the wild card playoffs are in the books. We got a Thursday night game in the NFL. The hockey season's back. Basketball's around the corner. It's just a good sports time. Oh, absolutely, dude! I did a daily fantasy that was for free yesterday on Yahoo, and you know that I know absolutely nothing about fantasy hockey. I think I got like a hundred and fiftieth place out of thirteen thousand people. I had absolutely no clue what I was doing. Yeah, that McDavid guy might help. Yeah, I had it. <laughs> He's pretty good at hockey. That guy. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um... But, no, I mean, this has just been a great, great time of year with college football, too, you know, in full swing. The baseball playoffs, we're down to eight. The wild card playoff games are done. And how about this, Brandon? We have two home teams, two relative home favorites winning. I mean, it's been a while since we've even seen that. Yeah, and you wanted to think that the road team could actually do something in both matchups, and it looked like it was going to happen. I mean, the Twins jumped over, jumped on Severino early. It was 3 nothing. You thought, all right, well... The Twins actually could be a surprise here, but all of a sudden we saw the Yankees offense and that Yankees bullpen, man. If I'm you over there, that Indians fan, I'm a little nervous about that bullpen that looks very similar to the one that you've got. Yeah, it does, and, and the Indians bullpen that has a, a lot of Yankee cast-offs, too, in it. So mm-hmm. The other side of it, too, I looked at that Rockies-Diamondback game, just a marathon, and the Diamondbacks were the team that got the early lead. I was shocked that Granke didn't just cruise right to victory. That's the one thing last night that shocked me. When you get a big lead like that for a pitcher of his caliber, the Rockies showed a lot of heart getting back into the game, but it ultimately proved to be too insurmountable to come back from that many runs on the road in a single elimination playoff game. I thought so too, and I texted my brother when it was 3 nothing, and I said game over, and then it got to 6 nothing. I was like, okay, game's really over now. Like, there's no shot. Granke's got a huge lead. He's an ace. He's not going to blow this. But these starters can't survive in these do-or-die games. I mean, all four were terrible, which is not a good sign at all. Because normally you think that like the wildcard team will get the momentum, and that usually does happen. At least we've seen in the last several years that the wildcard team does better than people think because they have that one game. But all four of them now have concerns about the rotation, which is not something you want to have. I know we missed the days of Madison Bumgarner just going in there and pitching a complete game in the wild card. Did yeah. you see the stat that Madison Bumgarner apparently in his two wild card games, his two appearances were longer than all four starters in the uh, wild card games wow. these past two days. Wow. Crazy. Uh, it, it's really crazy. And one of the things that doesn't make me feel as good as an Indians fan is that little streak of history that uh, the wild card winner has? There's always been, I think, one. There's been a little streak going on that at least one of these wild card teams, odds are, is probably going to win a series based on history. So I'm really hoping it's the Diamondbacks. If that's the case, we saw the Blue Jays get into the ALCS last year from the wild card. So maybe momentum is a thing. It was just one game, but we'll we'll have to monitor if anybody can break through. But now it's time to talk about the divisional round series and four in total to talk about. 
I want to start in the National League with one that doesn't, you know, the NLCS doesn't start till tomorrow, or Friday, I should say, by the time this goes up. Cubs and Nationals, Brandon, is a series that I've been looking forward to for a while. It's interesting that we kind of knew what the matchups were tentatively going to be in some cases months out. Cubs-Nationals had that flavor for a while, and I really think this could be a case of the bullpens. You have the Nationals bullpen. The starters, that trio they have is amazing. But can that National bullpen hold off long enough to get the job done? They couldn't do it last year. What do you think this year against the Cubs, your thoughts on that bullpen? Well, it's a different team because you got to remember they did something this year that they had to do. They went out and addressed that bullpen. Doolittle's been really good as this and the ninth inning guy. Ryan Madsen's been pretty solid as well. So they've gotten some help, which they desperately needed because they got both those relievers from Oakland at the deadline, which had to happen because early in the year, if there was anybody else in that division that was semi-good, they would have been pressing them for the division because the Nationals are blowing every single game at the back end of their bullpen. But I'm more concerned about the starters in this matchup, man, because the health on both sides. I mean, is Lester okay? Is Arietta okay? Strasburg, Scherzer, all four of those guys have question marks going into this uh, postseason, which is kind of crazy because, like you said it, man, those three for the Nationals – are dangerous as hell. And the same thing for the Cubs. I mean, you throw up the Quintana, Lester, Arietta, and Hendricks. They have four great starters, too. Arietta, it's, it's fascinating because he hasn't been pitching as well. I don't want to speak on decline there. But with the injury, you know, he was a guy that, you know, two years ago when they didn't win the World Series was the best pitcher in baseball down the stretch. Last year wasn't at his apex but still able to be part of that rotation. I think, and we talked about bullpens, it's funny, what the Cubs have done, what Wade Davis has done, <laughs> doing a better job than Chapman did all of last year somehow. A lot of people are saying, Brandon, that this might have been one of Madden's best jobs as a manager because this team has not performed, does not have the numbers of last year's Mammoth team, but yet he still rallied them when they started off struggling. Would you agree with that? Do you think Madden's done an exemplary job this year? Yeah, I would actually, because if you remember the beginning of the year, Anthony Rizzo couldn't hit the backside of a barn. Chris Bryant was not doing much at all. I mean, he didn't have the same season he had last year where he was in consideration for MVP. I mean, he lost Kyle Schwarber, so he had to deal with that. Wilson Contreras was good, then he got hurt. They brought up Ian Happ, and he did a really nice job filling in at both second and center field. I mean, it seems like Jason Hayward is starting to contribute a little bit. But they've done a nice job plugging in guys at different places when someone's not hitting, someone's injured. And like you said, the bullpen, he's done a really good job pulling the right strings. Wade Davis, obviously, has been great at the back end. But he's got five or six guys now in the back end of the bullpen that he can go to, whether it be a guy like Carl Edwards that has been pretty good. It's one of those things where he trusts his young guys but then he also trusts his older guys like Rondon. It's, it's, it's interesting to see. Yeah, and the Cubs have that sleeping giant factor where even with poor statistical years, they've done it before, they have big-name players. you got to fear, right, that they could just come alive and just get on fire in the postseason. Everything's in play, but that's definitely a possibility. I think it's the case for both these teams. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing about both these teams is because they have the starters. If the starters are performing up to what they're capable of, then either of these teams can win the World Series. It's as simple as that because when you have the three aces that you have on the national side and the four aces that you have on the Cubs side, if healthy, they're dangerous. But the question is, is the Cubs side healthy? Is the national side healthy? Because the offenses, I mean, they're there. Will Harper hit? That's a huge question mark because he's coming back, obviously, from... Mm -hmm what looked like a devastating injury that was going to keep him out the entire season through the postseason. That's one big side. But the Nationals have other guys, man. They have Trey Turner. They have guys like Anthony Rendon. They have Ryan Zimmerman, who is tremendous this year. So they have guys to fill the hole. And the same thing for the Cubs offensively. So it'll be fun because you have two good offenses, but also two really good pitching staffs. And we'll, uh, we'll save predictions to the end of the show, but uh, the Nationals are at, are at a stage where they have to just start winning in the playoffs. It's, oh, yeah. it's gone on too long. They have to do it this year, and if not, the questions and pressure will continue to mount in D.C. All right, Money Mitch Effect, Brandon Marcus, the other NLDS series, Dodgers and Diamondbacks. And, man, 
This Dodgers team has been very, very interesting this season. Starting out on fire, one of the best starts in baseball history. Then it goes on an absolute losing skid of all losing skids. I can't remember, Brandon, a team that finished with the record they did, over 100 wins, with as little momentum going into the playoffs as this Dodgers team. It's weird. It's really weird because they went through that stretch where they won so many games. So obviously the record is incredibly impressive. And let's not take anything away from this team because you talk about what Joe Madden did over for the Cubs. How about the job that Dave Roberts did? Because every single one of his starters at some point hit the disabled list. So he had to deal with his entire rotation getting hit during the season. Luckily, they had depth throughout. But, I mean, he was throwing guys like Ross Stripling in the rotation. He had Ryu in and out of the rotation. Maeda in and out of the rotation. So he did a tremendous job just putting some sort of guy out there that could give him four or five innings. And he did such a good job with that. But... I think with this Dodgers team, we know what they have in the rotation when healthy. I mean, you have guys. It's interesting, by the way. Apparently, Rich Hill is going game one. Yeah, I saw that. (laughs) Which is really strange to me because he's their fourth best starter. Because you have Alex Wood, you have Darvish, and you have Kershaw. So that's strange to me. But perhaps that is Dave Roberts saying, we're not bringing Kershaw back for game four. Because he, they've said that year in, year out, and he's pitched in four straight game fours. So maybe that's them saying, you know what, now we're altering our rotation where we trust a guy like Wood or Darvish. But I, I think with the Dodgers team, it's going to come down to who's going to hit. Because yeah. Corey yeah. Seacrest hasn't been good mm-hmm. since coming back from his injury. I mean, Cody Bellinger, it's his first postseason, and he's the guy that carried them throughout the entire year. Graham Dahl has not hit very much. So I don't know who's going to hit for them. And no Gonzo either. That's a big point. The guy, Adrian Gonzalez, out for the, He's the hell. out, and, and he was the guy that has hit and has showed up in the playoffs before. I'm, I'm glad you brought up Seager. I was going to ask you, what what can we expect from him? This is a guy last year set the league on fire, but with the elbow injury, can we expect anything out of him? If you're a Dodger fan, you have to expect something, because if you don't get anything from him, you're going to lose, because he's going to be in that two spot probably in the order, and he's going to have to produce. Because you know you're going to have guys like Justin Turner that have produced in the postseason. I mean, he hit damn near 400 for the first half of the season. So he's a guy that's going to hit. You just don't know about Seager, Bellinger. Puig is a guy that always has some pressure on him. But, it's yeah, like you said, Seager's the guy. Because if he's at the top of the order and he's not getting on base and you can't rely on him, and then you can even attack him and not have to worry about a guy like Cody Bellinger on deck, then... That's going to be dangerous for the Dodgers because they're not going to have anything offensively. It is. And, and I also want to point out one thing that I think everyone should keep in mind for this round. Best of five versus best of seven, completely different series. Oh, yeah. And it makes every game that much more important, especially, I would argue, game one as a home team. Because you lose that game, and that's why starting Rich Hill is confusing to me too. You lose that game, game two becomes a must win. Now that we pretty much have to win, now that we're in a big hole if we win, now game two would then be a must win. So I'm intrigued here. We got the Diamondbacks, on the other hand, Brandon, who won the season series against the Dodgers, came in and swept them not too long ago. And their bats are are starting to wake up for, for their little skid that they went on. It's funny, Goldsmith, who hit that home run last night in the first inning, was 0 for his last 17, and then he hits a three-run home run in the first inning. So I think if they're hitting, if the Diamondbacks are able to you know, put up a lot of runs and, and get through, get to that Dodger bullpen in a hurry, they have a great chance to win this series. Yeah, I, I agree. And I just pulled up on Yahoo, but I think it's wrong. They said that game one is Kershaw versus Walker, and that just seems weird to me because I could have sworn I saw it said Rich Hill's going game one. But when you look at the Arizona rotation, they're deep. I mean, they have what you saw yesterday in Grinky and Ray, and then you also have Zach Godley, who's been really good. And then Walker has been solid. So you have four guys that can go out there and pitch. And, I mean, that's baseball with Goldschmidt. I mean, the guy goes 0 for 17, you go through streaks, and then all of a sudden you wake up and you get one pitch that's a hanging breaking ball and you hit it out of the park. It's Or you get a fastball in the right place and you hit it out. That's kind of the way things go. What's interesting for me with Arizona is what they're getting at the top of the lineup. Because A.J. Pollock was supposed to be that leadoff guy or even slide to the number two spot. But they've dropped him down to the sixth spot. And you have guys like Marte and David Peralta 
that are contributing. So they're getting offense from unexpected places. And if that can continue into this next round, they're going to be really dangerous against the Dodgers because they're going to have the offense and then they're going to have the pitching. It'll be interesting, obviously, about Grinky going against the Dodgers. Because I think Grinky's the guy that obviously will want some revenge. But the question is, does he get too hyped or is he in there for the moment and he's ready to go against his former team. Yeah, Granky very up and down in the playoffs. Um, and I would say, too, another another area I'm not entirely convinced that the Dimebacks are going to be okay, the back end of that bullpen. I don't really, oh, trust, no. I don't really trust Rodney. I don't. Um, <laughs> That's a very, I think it's a valid statement. Yeah. I, don't think, I don't think Arizona trusts Fernando Rodney at the back end of that bullpen. I mean, he give up runs in about two seconds. Yeah, he's got all those saves, but the ERA is well over four. Uh, I personally watched him blow a save against the Dodgers this year. So, hey, a three-run lead as well. So we'll see what happens there. All right, Money Mitch Effect, Brandon Marcus, the Divisional Round Baseball preview of the playoffs. We'll do predictions for all four series when we wrap this up. we got to go to the AL now. And another series that was set in stone before the wild card round, Brandon, the Red Sox and the Astros. It's two teams that are relatively young, but going into this postseason, the momentum, I'd say the optimism, is uh, a little different. You have the Astros that are feeling very, very good about this young potential. They've never really done it before, but they have that core base. Then you have the Red Sox, who have done it before, won multiple World Series, but a lot of pessimism there based on how they finished the season, some of the pitching matchups. And I'll just start off with this. Who is going to fill the void? The number one question. Who's going to be that power hitter in the lineup that the, Dave, that the David Ortiz factor, who he left in that lineup, who is that going to be for this team? Yeah, you and I think alike there because we did our, uh, our baseball preview on Mostly Banter, and I was talking about that exact same thing. I said the one thing about Boston is you can always count on David Ortiz in those big spots. And now who do you have? You have Mookie Betts and then... Who else do you really trust? I mean, Xander Bogarts hasn't really hit all that well this year. Hanley Ramirez, maybe. I mean, Jackie Bradley. Devers is just a rookie. I mean, I don't know how much you have that you can trust outside of Mookie Betts. So I think that's one thing with Boston that they should be worried about. They don't have that guy that has been there time and time again that has gotten the clutch hitting. And that's definitely going to be an issue. I mean, what do you think about the pitching side? Because... You look at these two pitching matchups, and you, I mean, you look at the two rotations, and you see the Astros that have plenty of depth, and then who's going to step in outside of the Red Sox and Chris Sale? I mean, who's going to pitch for them in Game 2 and Game 3? I mean, Pomerantz, okay. Eduardo Rodriguez, what are these guys done? Well, yeah, I'm glad you brought up the pitching because the Astros have depth, although I would caution everybody this time of year, until you've done it, until you've proven it, it's hard for any of us to be like, I trust this, this pitcher wholeheartedly. But yeah, Dallas Keuchel is one of the guys that you think could go in there and shut it down. They do have Chris Sale, the Red Sox do this year, which I should right. point out last year, not having a guy like that that you had any confidence in, you know, that's a big difference. If he can get you a win on the road in game one, that could completely change the series. It's hard for them. I mean, Porcillo's been a nightmare this year. Uh, Price is a guy that has consistently failed in these postseason moments. And he's going to be the bullpen. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to roll the dice with Pomerantz and hope that he, he that one of their big acquisitions comes through. I just I, I don't know what other options they have. It's a lot of pressure on Chris Sale. I mean, he had a great year. He, him and Corey Kluber are just strikeout kings. But he has to go into a hostile environment in game one against a Houston team that appears to be back to peaking and come up with a big start on the road and probably go deep, you know, seven innings or so. It's a lot to ask even for him. And not only that, but look who he's facing on the other side, a fellow named Justin Verlander that's been there before. I mean, the Astros needed to add an extra ace to their to their rotation, and they did exactly that at the last possible second. I mean, they missed it at the trade deadline. Then finally in August during that waiver time, Verlander passes through, and so he can go to any team. And finally, a big deal is struck where Houston lands Verlander, and all he's done is go out and put an ERA under 1.1, with a 43, I think 43 to 8 or 43 to 5 strikeout to walk ratio. The guy's been legit, and that's all you can ask for. And then you have Keuchel going in game two. Peacock has been great in the rotation. Maybe he goes game three, or you have a guy like McCullers. And then with Houston, we talked about the bullpens with the Cubs and National Series. How about guys like Chris Davinsky, 
that can go out and give you two scoreless innings and strike out five batters. The, oh, the Astros wow. are going to be nasty because they've been there before now. So I don't think these young guys are going to be as afraid. And with you, with Correa, Springer, Altuve, and then you have guys like Gurriel, Beltron's been there before, Gaddis, McCann. You have bats, and you have guys that are ready to get after the Red Sox. Yeah, Correa being back is huge for them with their depth. But I'd also argue that him going down really showed the Astros what they had. You know, made guys earn their stripes, having to step into different roles and, and pick up the slack, which they were able to do. The Red Sox side of things, though, you mentioned that lineup, and, and we keep coming back to who's going to step up for Ortiz and who's going to carry the weight. Last year in the ALDS, Betts and Bradley were non-existent. So maybe it is the rookie. Maybe it is Devers. Maybe it is uh, Benatani, who's, who, who actually did hit last year. I, I, man, I just really don't know what to expect from this Boston team. We like to think we know what's going to happen, but anything from swept out of the playoffs to going all the way is, is possible for this squad. I really believe that. Yeah, and this is a fun series. I think this is one of the series I'm most looking forward to watching because you have two very good baseball teams. You have the Red Sox, who have been very good over the years, and there's some pedigree there, and they've been there before. And then you have the Astros, who are the young, sexy, up-and-coming team that have some solid veterans on the squad. So it's, it's a good matchup, and it'll be fun because game one, if Sale loses game one, I think it's over because I don't think the Red Sox have enough in the rotation to get after the Astros. Wow, that's a, a lot of pressure, as we said on sale. It should be fun to watch. Well, Money Mitch Effect, Brandon Marcus, baseball playoff preview. And all right, here we are, the final series to talk about Indians and Yankees, ALDS, baseball really getting what they wanted here. The Yankees, as we mentioned at the top of the show, Knocking off the Twins, overcoming a three-run deficit early. They are back in the playoffs. They are back into the divisional round to place the Indians 10 years ago. Brandon is when the Indians and the Yankees did this in the ALDS way back when in 07 when the Indians won that series. We'll see what happens this time. But I got a question for you off the top, and I want your opinion before I chime in. What would you do with that Indians lineup? Who would you play in the outfield? A log jam there. I'm always intrigued to hear, but what would you do if you were setting the lineup and you were Terry Francona? You know what's funny? Didn't we have this exact same conversation last year? We did. <laughs> That's why we did. It's like one of those things where you, you never have an idea of who you want to actually play in the outfield. I mean, are you going to play a guy like Bradley Zimmer, who has gone through some really good stretches? I mean, are you going to play? I mean, obviously, you're going to have Jay Bruce in there. I mean, that, that's that's one of your guys there. And then, well, <laughs> it's funny because Francona hasn't committed, and I know Zimmer's got the injury thing, so they're not going to be. Uh, he's not going to be active this series, but he may be going forward with his hand. But he, here's the ultra. Here's the thing. Brantley is back. It's such a logjam. You have Brantley, who's probably going to play in left. They. And you have Jay Bruce, but you also have Lonnie Chisinau, Austin Jackson. But they keep trotting out. To me, Brandon, this is crazy. And I like the guy. I, he's one of my more recent favorite Indians. Yes. But why do they keep trotting out Kipnis in center field, not his natural position, when he can't hit? He's not hitting right now. Yeah, if he's not hitting, then no, there's no point. Because no. you're not doing the Kipnis to center field for defensive purposes. Because Austin Jackson could do a way yes. better job there in center field. Yes. So that's not because... You want his defense there. But if you want his bat, and if he's not hitting, then there's no point. The question is, though, do you ride him maybe for a game or two, knowing that you have a guy on the bench in Austin Jackson that you could always put into a place later on for defensive purposes and see if somehow Kipnis gets hot? Because mm -hmm. if you ride him on the bench, you'll never know if he's going to hit because you know he's got the ability to get on some sort of tear. We've seen it over the last several yeah. years. I think you need to go – I think you go with Brantley in left. You go with Kipnis in center, and you go with Bruce in right, wow. and you see what you can do with the rest of these guys. I also, I also just want to point out that Jackson's been hitting. He, he's the consummate pro that's, I would argue, playing his way into the lineup. Yeah, he's hitting 318. <laughs> but that's just me. And Donnie Chisinau had a great you know, ALDS last year. Is another guy that I could see playing, and – and you mentioned Franconi hit the nail on the head. He likes to go to his defensive substitutions late in the game. And let's just be clear, against lefties, they're probably not going to play Kipnis regardless. No, so 
So it's just it's a fascinating thing, and yeah, it's funny if you had Zimmer, you'd be adding him to the mix and already loaded uh, outfield. But part of me getting to that point, you know, wondering why Kipnis or whoever is going to be in this lineup when you have depth when you're not hitting has to do with who they're playing. It's a Yankees team that, for all the glory their lineup gets, for all the offensive juggernaut capabilities that they have, this bullpen scares me. And I think you have to get to that bullpen early to beat the Yankees. I think the Indians can do it, but will they is another question. Because if the starters, and that's the one area where you, you think they might have some vulnerability, if the Yankee starters can get them to the seventh, you got to like what New York can do from there on. It's not even the seventh inning. I mean, right now, both these teams only need their starters to go five innings. Because we saw just now in that wild card game, Robertson went three freaking innings. Oh, I mean, he's not do that every game, obviously, and he probably won't be available for game one. But you have guys like Robertson, Canley, Batansis, and then Chapman. You have four guys that have eighth inning experience that you can easily throw out there in the sixth inning to get big outs. I mean, that's the same thing with the Indians. We saw Andrew Miller come in in the fifth or sixth inning and get big outs. And he can get you four outs. He can get you seven outs. It just depends what the game looks like. And then, of course, you have Shaw and you have Allen in the back end of that bullpen. So both these bullpens are really good. I honestly think this series comes down to which bullpen has a hiccup. Because (laughs) starters will be good for both these sides. I mean, you have Sonny Gray, who's a very good pitcher. I think the Indians clearly have the starting rotation advantage. There's no question about that. But in these playoff games, it just seems to be where pitching takes over, and there's a lot of low-scoring games. But then again, look at what happened in the wild card, where it was an offensive slugfest. Yeah, it's the funny thing with Kluber. You feel so confident with him, but in a best of five, yet again, if he were to lose game, you know, if he were to lose the first game or the second game, now that Bauer's starting the first, you know, any game that your ace loses in a best of five, you feel very, very worried. How do you feel about Bauer going game one? It was interesting to me, but it makes more sense when when you read between the lines that they said they wanted to go to a wanted to ideally go to a four man rotation. But that sounds to me like if there is a game five, they want Kluber in the bag for that on short rest. Um, I'm not entirely confident. I think the more interesting move, and you mentioned the bullpen, is Cleffinger coming out of the bullpen as a long relief pitcher. How he pitched down the stretch for this Indians team, he could be a weapon. It could, you could see a lot of games that go starter to Cleffinger to Miller, all the way to Allen. Yeah, and Clevenger has pitched in relief. Um, in the minor leagues, he pitched in relief a little bit. So he is a guy that can come out of the bullpen. Obviously, he did a little bit for you guys, too, during the season, I think. Um, I like Salazar a lot. He's only going to go four or five innings. But with your bullpen, that's all you need. I mean, he can go four and a third or f- and strike out nine guys. I mean, he just did that recently where he went less than five innings and st- struck out nine. Um, Carrasco, Bauer, Kluber. I just think the rotation is too good. But I am a little curious that Kluber is going game two instead of game one because you would think you'd want to have that advantage. Um, but I guess you go game two and see what happens. Yeah, and a lot of power in both of these lineups at the top of it. Very top-heavy. A lot would a lot of people would argue, although I would slide Kipnis down the lineup if that were you know if they really wanted to uh, highlight that for the Indians. But what Lindor and Ramirez have done sensational years we talked about bruce and his power in the yankees side and he's been great too yeah oh yeah it's if you look at the yankees side though i mean we know judge but gregorius you add in gary sanchez it's it's a dangerous series for the indians it would be dangerous for anybody i i don't know that they're that that the matchup is ideal for any baseball team I, i think the yankees have a puncher's chance with that power in that bullpen against anybody oh yeah i mean both these teams have a chance to win here. I mean, obviously, that's a dumb statement to say, but you really don't know who's going to win this series. I mean, you'd want to say that the Indians have the advantage, but the firepower, like you said, between Didi, you have Starling Castro, you have a guy like Headley, you have Greg Bird, who could be a wild card. He's got the power. You have Judge. I mean, you like you said, you have Gary Sanchez. There's a lot of power there, and I mean, at least two of the, I mean, at least one of those games, probably two, are going to be at Yankee Stadium. And any ball can get out. We saw that with Judge's line drive home run. <laughs> that not many parks will have that go out. And you never know. I mean, yeah. it's one of those things where a guy like Gardner, who's a left-handed batter, can pull it down the line and get it to go out. 
I know. And Carlos Santana for the Indians as well. Another guy that I trust in a big game with uh, a chance to hit one out. Well, we've reached that point. Brandon Marcus, Money Mitch Effect. It's time to make some predictions. Who who do you see getting to the NLCS? We can save the big World Series picks for a little after, but who gets out of this round? I've been going back and forth on this Diamondbacks-Dodgers series because I'm a little skeptical that the Dodgers are going to come through because I'm not confident in what they have with a guy like Seager, um, who's going to hit for them. The bullpen worries me a lot. But then I say that, and I look over at Arizona, where Archie Bradley gave two home runs yesterday, and Fernando Rodney can't really be counted upon. So I'll say Dodgers in five, because I think that'll go uh, the distance there. And and I'm going to say the Nationals beat the Cubs. I think this is their year. I'm a little worried about what the Cubs have in the rotation. The guys have been up and down, and I think that this is uh, the moment for Strasburg and Scherzer. In the NL, and I'll let you do AL in a second, I go Dodgers in five also for for a lot of what you just mentioned, not really trusting the Diamondbacks bullpen. I know this is dangerous, but I do like the Dodgers to figure it out here. And Dave Roberts has proven, Brandon, that he's a win at all costs in these first-round series. Oh, yeah. So if it gets to game five, he will – no stone will be unturned. He will empty the complete kitchen cupboard, and I think he'll find a way to win this series, even if it's at the expense of you know matchups for the next round. I like the Cubs though in the in the other side of the series. I still still don't know what to make of the Nationals. I don't know if I can trust them, and and that starting rotation injury is is a good point to bring up. I think the Cubs can figure it out, and I would just like Madden in the series to find a way to get it done. But what's your thoughts on the AL? ALCS, I think, will end up being the Indians. Um, I think they'll win in four games. I, I think maybe the Yankees take one. But I think you're a lot more worried now if you're an Indians fan like you are after watching that wild card game and seeing how good that Yankees bullpen is because they can do the same things you can do with shortening the game. But I'll, I'll take the Indians. I think they're better at doing that. So I'll take the Indians in four. And, and I'm going to go with the Astros. I think they're just better than the Red Sox. And I honestly think this can be done in three. I think it could be a sweep, but I'll, I'll say the Astros in four. I agree with you. Uh, Indians in four, but I like Astros in five. I think that's going to be a, a rock'em, sock'em type of series. Uh, for the Indian side of things, I just I like how the pitching matchups line up. I, I like this lineup better than I, than I liked last year's. Mm-hmm. We'll see. The Miller factor is huge because last year he came in and took over the playoffs. Andrew Miller did. So if he can do that again... Look out! I, I think that can be the the biggest neutralizer there is. I just think the Astros. He's been hitable. He has He's been hitable, which is a worry. And the injury side of things is is what worries me is how healthy is he? Um, then the other series is just Astros. I think will wear down the Red Sox when it all comes down to it. I think their depth at every position, offense and defense, and in the pitching side of things, is going to make the difference. But if I had to ask you right now, Brandon, one final parting question what the world series is going to look like would you be ready to tell me yeah because i I picked this on mostly banders i'm going to go ahead and stick with the same exact one um i think that the nationals get to the world series and i think they face off against the indians okay so i I think it's indians versus nationals and i think the indians win the world series well that would make me very happy i (laughs) i don't i'm not trying to sound like a homer and i could go back to the tape and said Last year, I thought the Indians would lose in the first round to Boston, but I like Indians to win it. I still think the Dodgers get there. I'm holding out hope for that team. I think there's not a buzzsaw in the NL that I would say, wow, this team absolutely worries me compared to the Dodgers, and uh, I think Dodgers beat the Cubs and get to the World Series, but ultimately it's the Indians. So if you had to ask me right now what team fears me the most in baseball as an Indians fan, it's the Houston Astros. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's going to be such a good series if it gets to that point, and I really hope it does. Indians-Astros would be so fun. I think that one would go seven games. Yeah, well, it should. I mean, it would be a lot of, a lot of heart attacks for the people in Cleveland and Houston and everywhere in between, but it, uh, it should be great. Well, Brandon Marcus, this was fun. We'll, uh, we'll make sure we catch uh, new episodes of uh, Mostly Banner as well, and uh, now you're uh, a fantasy hockey expert, daily fantasy hockey expert. Yeah, apparently. Too, so add apparently. that to the resume. It's called guessing, and it's called beginner's luck. That is real thing, beginner's luck. All right, Brandon Marcus, host of Mostly Banner. Thanks again for coming on the show, and until next time, it was good talking sports with you. Of course. Always a great time, Mitch. Thanks for having me.
Thanks again to Brandon Marcus for helping us preview the MLB baseball playoffs. You can catch him and all of his podcasts at Mostly Banner. They do some great stuff there. Definitely check that out. It was a big win for the Indians. Trevor Bauer was dealing last night, and they win that game. It's put a smile on my face. Aaron Judge, four strikeouts. Got to do a little bit better against Corey Kluber today. And the Astros with what Altuve did hitting three home runs. They rock Chris Sale. So we'll see all four games today. I want to remind you there's a lot of baseball. A lot can change. But it's a best of five series. So every game matters that much more. Now it's time to flip the script and talk college football. Betting lines, point spreads, you name it. Matt Gothard is back since the Super Bowl was the last time we had him on the show. He knows his stuff. And he, uh, he gives some sage advice. Especially when he uh, you know, is pressed up against it when he has a rooting interest too but he's very respectable it's who i turn to in these times of crisis times of need college football betting and some nfl at the end here's matt gothard now on the money mission Bet. i'm feeling smooth ain't nothing gonna phase me yeah my emotions and harmony yeah locked in rocket straight to the top no intention to stop it all right, college football season is in full effect, and it's not just about the action on the field. I brought on back onto the show recurring guest friend of the program, Matt Gothard, who works at The Ringer, and we are going to talk, Matt, about some college football lines this weekend. Matt, thanks for coming back to the show. It's been a while since we talked. Glad you could be back here on the Money Mitch Effect. Absolutely. I think it might have been the Super Bowl. I'm not 100% sure, but I feel like that might have been it. It was, and I was going to say, you know, that's my lead-in. Uh, we haven't talked since the Super Bowl when me, you, and uh, and our good friend Ron Schultz were talking about the Super Bowl. We got all hyped up on uh, prop bets, and uh, I proceeded to lose just about every single one I, I took the action on. Same here. <laughs> I, got, I, I did get uh, Giselle how many times they'd show her on camera, so if that Patriots comeback was good for one thing for me, it was that reaction shot. That was the only thing oh, there you go. that made me sur- save any face. But college football season is fun, and I and I specifically liked having you on for this week, Matt, because I wanted to illustrate the fact that it's not always about the best big-time matchups. There's some sneaky good betting opportunities in weeks that might not have the flavor that you would think, and, and I think this is a good one. There's some big games this week. There's some interesting ones, some favorites that are getting uh, some interesting lines, but I'll let you have the floor first. What's one game right off the top that just jumps out at you, whether it's a matchup or a point spread that doesn't really sit right? Well, believe it or not, I'm going to go ahead and just kick it off with the uh, the big rivalry, Michigan State versus Michigan, because I'm a diehard Spartan fan. But I try not to let that taint my views, even though it totally does. (laughs) Uh, But the the thing about this game, Mitch, that I really, really like is Michigan is pretty much... The thing about Michigan is that they're pretty overhyped. Mm-hmm. I think people see their name and they're expecting them to win. We had a really bad year last year, so nobody's really hot on Michigan State right now, especially after that beating we took against Notre Dame at home. But the thing about that game is that that was just a lot of turnovers. And if you if people watched the game last week, we really uh, we were able to kind of minimize turnovers and take advantage of of Iowa's slow slow pace and and i think michigan state's finally hitting their stride here this this line opened up at 14 actually mm-hmm. and i wish i would have put like three thousand dollars on it but <laughs> i didn't have three thousand dollars to do that yeah, yeah. so i didn't do that but yeah. uh it's at ten and a half right now and you're really and, liking um, michigan state in this one huh now i know i know you're a spartan fan and you know it's hard to take that out of it but with with this line with Michigan State, this game absolutely terrifies me because I agree with you. Michigan is overhyped. They start out so slow in a lot of these games. But Michigan State, I just don't know, Matt, maybe you know better than me, which Michigan State team is going to show up because they looked really good against an Iowa team that should have beat Penn State. But against Notre Dame, it was the turnover factor. It was just some careless, poorly coached football in my eyes. I am I think Michigan State holds the key to this game. I think if they can come out strong, they got a chance. But it's a dangerous one. Yeah, I think if Michigan State has, has over one turnover, it, it'll be a Mich- I think Michigan will cover. But the thing about this is that I think Michigan, they have a quarterback that, that is pretty unexperienced coming into this. This is a big game for him. And I think that um, one of Michigan State's really big strong points this year is stopping the run. So if they can stop the run and, and really put the ball in his hands and, and force him to make plays, that's a brand new ball game. Uh, we got Josiah Scott, who's a, a pretty good defensive back, and all, all it takes is one pick six, you know, or one one rookie mistake to turn this game 
in you know all of a sudden a pick six we're up 17 mm-hmm. yeah. so i uh it's really going to come down to the fact that this is a pretty big rivalry game. Michigan State doesn't have any playoff hopes. This is kind of like the bowl game of bowl games for us. And Michigan, they're they're undefeated, you know. So they're not. They're, this isn't their season. This is this is just kind of like a weak rivalry game for them. And I always find this game pretty close. Granted, last year it got kind of out of hand. I, I would I like the ten and a half. Obviously. Yeah, obviously. Now I'm leaning your way because. John O'Korn's the starting quarterback this game. Spate's going to be out. That's a big factor. And you mentioned how this game just always tends to be close. Last year ended up just being a nine-point game for as good as Michigan was and for the season in hell that Michigan State had. There's another number in this game that I'm I'm really intrigued by, and that's the over-under of 39.5. I'm not a big over-under guy. I should say not a big successful over-under guy. But does that sound right to you? Do you think this is going to be a low-scoring game or – because that is awfully low sitting at under 40. It is awfully low. I think that this is going to be a turnover game. I think that each team might have, if I, if I, had, if I could set the line for each team's turnover, it would be 1.5 each. And I think if there's that many turnovers, that this will easily go over 40. It's not necessarily been a low-scoring game in the past, except for, I believe, one year in Michigan, it was like 13 to 10. I, I could definitely see both teams putting up 21 or more. So you're going to go Michigan State points, but you don't think they're going to win this game. You know, actually, on my list here, I had uh, Michigan State plus three ten on the money line, but that's <laughs> that's not a, that's not anything that your listeners should should okay. do. I, anybody listening to this podcast, don't take that. Okay, gotcha. Um, gotcha. I'm I'm going to though. <laughs> <laughs> I like the disclaimer. Don't do as I do. Do it, as I say. Um, and before we move on, I just got to give you the four one last time. Is it possible that anything that could happen this year, or maybe in the the future of this rivalry while you're alive, could top the 2015 ending for you? You know, I don't. I really don't believe so. I think that that'll go down as one of the greatest and most insane endings of all time. I mean, we really couldn't. I, even a punt return for touchdown or hail mary, it's like it's been done. Uh, even a kick return for touchdowns. So I think I don't think anything could ever beat it, and I, I'm so glad that we were on the side. You know, the only way that it could change is if we lose on a punt block. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then it's an even. Then you guys are back at score one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it was unbelievable. I, I couldn't, you know, I didn't even get to see it live. I watched the game and went and took a shower because I thought it was just time to kneel and uh, came back out to just screaming uh, on the sideline and Sean McDonough losing his voice. It was great. But uh, I do... Want to move on now, Money Mitch Effect with Matt Gothard. And I want to take a step back because as we record this on a Thursday night, there was one college football game, NC State beating Louisville. It was a ranked matchup, but Louisville again goes down, and Louisville again looks vulnerable. Can you think of a Heisman Trophy, reigning Heisman Trophy winner, that you've had less confidence gambling on than Lamar Jackson and his Louisville Cardinals? Because they look very, very bad against good teams. You know, I, I continue to learn this lesson every week, uh, Mitch. <laughs> every week I learn that Louisville is not a good team. And uh, and I'm learning it the hard way. The thing about it is that before the season started, I thought Lamar Jackson could be another, like he could win the Heisman again. And I'm now realizing that that future bet is in great jeopardy. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that I think it's, it comes down to the fact that, I mean, he did have a pick six there at the end, and they had a chance, you know, but that defense is so bad. It's so bad, you know, and, and it's really hard for a, for a quarterback of any nature to, uh, to get momentum if you spend most of the time on the sideline in the first half. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, think, I don't think I have had a, a Heisman Trophy candidate that's really been this bad or, you know, not, not consistent would be the word. Yeah, it's tough to get past whether, you know, if you're serious about putting some money down and, and playing the odds, the flashiness, just the overall skill of one player – but the team around him and that system, it just does not look good right now. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm vulnerable, too. There's times you think, okay, they should handle NC State, and it just doesn't happen. Uh, you know, they lose to Kentucky last year. I think Houston got him as well. It's just tough. But we got some more games to talk about on Saturday. Really, a, a few that have got my eye. I'm a big Pac-12 after dark fan. The quality of football and some of the games and some of the interesting lines. This has been the conference I've had the most – fun watching and I'm not just saying that because we're based out in LA (laughs) but there's some big games this week that I want to look at and one of them off the top is Stanford and Utah 
late night kickoff at Utah. Utah's undefeated. Stanford's three and two. Matt Stanford four and a half point favorites moved from three. It's not uncommon to see a road team favored, you know, especially going into Utah. But a team with two losses against a Utah team, you think Utah's that vulnerable, or is this line a little fishy to you? I mean, it sounds a lot fishy to me, and that's I think that's what worries me. A lot of times when I see stuff like this, you know, it seems too good to be true. I don't know if I don't know what Vegas is no, like knows on this that they they believe that this is not even going to be a field goal game. But I feel like four points is a lot to take away from Utah right now, or a lot, a lot to give Utah right now. Sorry, excuse me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm just I'm not sold on the Stanford team, and Utah hasn't shown a whole lot of. They have a good quarterback. They got good receivers. I would definitely take the four. Honestly, this would be a great tease game. Tease it up to seven if you could, or even more. Yeah, you know what's crazy about Utah? You know, they they find themselves vulnerable because they barely squeaked by an Arizona team. They were it's the classic ugly win against a bad team, and everybody just says this team's not for real. Or maybe they just had a bad game. Stanford has been up and down all season. It's hard to take them too seriously, too, because one week they're running the ball looking great, like they did against UCLA. And then the next, I mean, San Diego State got them. You know, they got beat down in the second half by USC. I think Utah will cover here. I like Utah to win outright, but this is that fishy game. You know, Matt, I remember two years ago, Utah was at the center of what I call the most fishy line I've ever seen. Undefeated third-ranked Utah takes on unranked USC with three losses. At USC, USC is a six-point favorite, and they won by 14. I, that was just the craziest. I, I stayed away, and I, and I could not believe what was happening. I'm telling you, man, I think I said this last time on the podcast, but Vegas is the first people to ever invent the time machine. They for sure know. <laughs> they definitely do. I got another Pac-12 game for you, Matt Gother, Money Mitch Effect, and that is Oregon and Washington State. Now, again, I, I should point out Washington State was the team that knocked off USC You know, last week. Big Thursday night game, uh, or big Friday night game, excuse me. They're still undefeated. It was, it was a huge win for Mike Leach. You know, Pirate Mike Leach and his program. They go to Oregon, who lost to Arizona State this year, Matt. Only three-point favorites on the road. Now, I know I normally don't want road teams to be bigger favorites, but this is another one where it almost seems like free money. It does seem like free money, and any time that it sounds like free money, it totally is for your bookie. <laughs> yeah. and I, I've said that before, I, uh, and they've gotten a lot from me, yeah. Exactly, exactly. But I, I was impressed with Washington State last week. I think they, they have a good defense, especially for, for a West Coast team. They seem to be able to, to stop all different sorts of offense. But I, I have been impressed with Oregon as well when I'm watching them. They can, they can put up a lot of points. But I, I would say I agree with you. I think I would take Washington State minus three just based on their performance last week. But I would say that I think USC has been overrated. I, I think they've almost lost a couple weeks. There's been a couple games, you know, where you're where I've watched the bot, you know, seen it on the bottom, and kind of started following it, and they pulled away at the end. But uh, I think USC was a little bit overrated going into that game. It was at Washington State, so I think minus three. I, you know, Oregon's good, but I don't think they're the Oregon they used to be. Yeah, can you believe this game opened at Washington State minus one? I mean, that's the wow. thing that gets me. It's moved to three now, and I think it might be trending in that direction. I I don't know. Maybe there, there is the letdown game. There is Oregon maybe having that puncher's chance at home to just have a throwback game, but it's a little suspect. Well, we're going to switch to your neck of the woods, the Big Ten, because I got an interesting game for you, and it's a tale of two teams and maybe a tale of how big a spread has to be for you to feel comfortable a team's going to cover it. But Penn State, Matt, going to Northwestern this week, very interesting for me because Penn State, high and mighty Penn State, who looks great one week and then has to uh, struggle by Iowa another. Only 14-point favorites on the road at Northwestern. Penn State, playoff hopes, and lowly Northwestern. But does four teams feel right to you? Do you feel comfortable in Penn State covering, or do you think the Wildcats might have a chance here? I don't think the Wildcats have a prayer in hell to win this game. But... I do think that it is worth noting this is the second time Penn State's going on the road. The last time they were on the road, they didn't show up as well. However, they were playing one of the hardest places to play in the Big Ten. And uh, I just don't think that Northwestern has the home field advantage as much as other teams. It's kind of a small stadium. They're not doing that great this year. I I would be pretty confident taking the 14. 
I have them a part of a teaser that I was looking at just to try to take, you know, a six point teaser, bring it down to maybe eight. But uh, I think Penn State wins this one by 28. Yeah, it has that feel that either Penn State just sleepwalks through it, and if you bet on them, which is probably what's going to happen if you do, they just sleepwalk through it, you're miserable, they gut out an ugly win, or the explosion happens and they just dominate. I'm, Northwestern does, I agree. No chance to win this game. But can they backdoor cover and, and screw you out of money? Very well. It happens all the time. So I would, again, tread lightly. Especially with Northwestern. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're the typical <laughs> team. They will be in games they have no business being in. That's just what they do. Another game for you. Yep. We're going to switch conferences. Matt Gother, Money Mitch Effect, talking college football lines. TCU and West Virginia. TCU at home, riding high. Beat Oklahoma State a couple weeks ago, looking pretty good. West Virginia, who's on the rise, has been playing well recently. TCU, 13-point favorites. I, I have a soft spot in my heart for the underdog to make it interesting. Am I crazy to think West Virginia is the play here? I don't think you're crazy to think that. I mean, it's Texas Christian. It's not Alabama. Any team that can score points, giving that team two touchdowns, is kind of that's I, I take I take that. You know, you got a you got a quarterback that's thrown for over a thousand yards already, you got you got they have a good running back and and good receiver. So it's kinda I don't I almost could see them winning. I think T C U always has a letdown game. I they're a great team, don't get me wrong. But uh I I think that it's a great great thirteen and a half, you know, or whatever. But I also had them a part of my little my little teaser I was talking about, and if you tease them up six, you get them at 19 and a half, and I think that's really, really doable. Yeah, what's the money line on uh, a West Virginia win, if you know off the top of your head? Because it's got to be pretty good. Uh, it's got to be It's got to be pretty – I think it was somewhere around 450, it just if, has, if I'm right. Cause it, I, just, it just has all the makings of that crazy Big 12 upset. It happens every year. Yeah. We, we see this time and time again. A team that reigns, races at the front of the line in the Big 12 gets beaten when they're not supposed to. Well, the, the thing to keep in mind is West Virginia is out-passing, out-running, and out-receiving TCU. So we'll have to see. Um, I think it actually is going to come down to the defense of that. I do have a question for you, just a personal one. If you, you know, when you take notes and, and do studying up for this, is it instantly when you fall behind in a bet they get torn and thrown, or is it you just wait and reflect and then throw it away? <laughs> Uh, you know, <laughs> you just, it, it's very, uh, gambling is such an interesting, in, interesting life to live. And, and you know, you just, yeah. you just never know what you're getting into. I mean, and honestly, honestly, the, the epitome of it all was that, la- I don't know if you watch Monday Night Football, but when Kirk Cousins had oh, that oh, play, man. I just cried. I didn't, I didn't even have money on it, but I just felt bad. Oh man, <laughs> that hit both, yeah, you, it, so what Matt's talking about is the final play of Monday Night Football where, the Chiefs had kicked the game-winning field goal, and on the final play of the game, the kickoff, they caused the fumble, ran it into the end zone. That play hit a cover and an over <laughs> in the same play, and I, yeah, I felt just <laughs> as bad. I felt dirty, and I had no skin in the game. So, um, exactly, we can only imagine what kind <laughs> of uh, epile- epileptic seizure Brent Musburger would have had if he was calling that game. So, but we gotta, yeah. <laughs> but, but we gotta move on here. And uh, I do have one game that you never have confidence. When you go into these games looking at point spreads, but this is one that I feel pretty good about. I won't say lock. I don't like to do that. But the SEC, it's a slow week for them. Matt, Florida, LSU. Florida is only two and a half points against LSU, and I don't think LSU is good at all. Is it crazy? Is LSU going to screw me and everybody else in the, in the world that thinks like that? My question to you is this. Are we sure Florida is good at all? It's because fair. I think that's kind of... That's kind of where I come down to it. The, the thing about this game is that LSU is playing for, for their coach's job. A lot of times when you see that happen, players get way more motivated. I think that their coach, I think that he's a likable guy. He's not like a, from what I've heard at least, players like him. I could see LSU coming out and surprising everybody. They've had two really down weeks. I mean, they got murdered by Mississippi State, you know, who doesn't look good. And, I mean, we don't need to talk about Troy. So, yeah, <laughs> I think I think that I could see LSU winning this. You know, it opened at five and went down to two and a half, and and I get that side of it. I think Florida. My counter to that would be: I don't think you have to be very good to beat LSU. I think you just have to be competent at this point. 
and, and no indicator says oh, she was good, even down to Mississippi State beating them and then two weeks in a row getting shellacked by other SEC teams. Where do you stand in just a betting philosophical question, I should say, about same-game parlays, two bets in the same game, like parlaying the over and maybe a point spread? Are you, is that something you do, or do you just steer clear of that and stick to one You know, game? here's what I'll say. I don't usually do it for that. I don't usually do the overall over because it's it's really hard to um, it's really hard to have success with that. But what I will do is team overs if you have that available. Sometimes it's not always available. But if you can pick the team to win by the spread, but then also pick their over, mm-hmm. I, I have had a lot of luck with that. Yeah, this isn't college basketball where I love that second half line <laughs> when when March Madness happened and you get a top team that's sluggish in the first and you just hammer the second half line. But I think a game overall over could work uh, in this case as well. And I, I just actually I would say game or team overall over if you can get it. I just threw that out there because it's at forty five and a half for the game, and this could be a dogfight where not a lot of points are scored. But yeah, when you play for your coach's job, interesting things happen. I think we've seen that time and time again. A couple more games now with Matt Gather on the Money Mitch Effect from college football this weekend. Here's an interesting one for you, Matt. Texas and Kansas State. Texas four-point favorites, another Big 12 matchup where anything's predictable. Do you think Tom Herman has gotten Texas balanced? I mean, they lose to Maryland. They almost shocked USC. Kansas State is Bill Snyder. He's like 177 years old, may, may or may not be breathing, but he's still coaching that team to solid football. What's the play in this one? I think you got to go Texas in this one. I, uh, I don't really have much faith in Kansas State. I know that Texas has had kind of some ups and downs. They didn't look great last week against Iowa State. But at the same time, I just I, – I think at home, that's it's still a big crowd, except for, you know, I'm seeing tickets are going for $3 right now. So that <laughs> – you wonder about the home field. <laughs> yeah, huge crowd. But yeah, it's, but, uh, it's affordable. That, that's what we'll say. It's it's easy to get to the game. No, I, I – it's so interesting because Texas is that young team that's starting to maybe figure it out. And Kansas State is their polar opposite, a team that's not flashy at all. But I don't, I'm not ready to buy into Texas yet. I love Tom Herman, love what he's trying to do, but I just don't think the roster's that good. And K State likes to run the ball, from what I believe. And uh, I just don't think Texas, I mean, Maryland gashed them left and right. Uh, I think USC, that might have been, you know, you mentioned it, that Texas USC game might have been more about USC being a little overrated. I agree with you. I totally agree with you. Well, there is a game that a lot of people are crowning as uh, a make-or-break game for one team in particular, and that is the Miami and Florida State, and that game was a rescheduled game from Week 2. And interesting to note in this game, Matt, the line opened at negative 1 or minus 1 Florida State. Miami's now the favorite, so we had a line flip on this of who the favorite is. They're three-point favorites. It's flipped. Miami is riding high, hasn't really been tested yet. Florida State's just trying to survive. They barely get by Wake Forest. Do you trust Miami to handle business as a road favorite? I know they haven't really proven much in a long time, but they're playing a team without a quarterback looking like they're in shambles on offense. think Miami can get it done here? You know, it's it's really hard to tell, but I think that uh, that Florida State's going to pull this one out. I think that this is a – it's coming down to a, who needs it more. And uh, I don't I don't think we can write Florida State off just yet. I think that they're, they have a young quarterback. And uh, he, he looks really good. Uh, I think it's Blackman, yeah, I believe, yeah. or Blackman. I think tonight we found out NC State is a good team. And um, I think that, that Florida State has just played some really good teams. I mean, you open up against Bama. You play <laughs> NC State, who all of a sudden is a contender. This is a rivalry game at home. I would take the three points in this for sure. Yeah, you know what's interesting, too? And you get a young quarterback, the thing that's going to make him better is just reps. So I think this is a type of situation where he should get better as the games go on. And, and that's a great point about NC State. That was looked like a terrible loss. Now we're starting to see that this is a ranked team that's going to be ranked for a little bit at the very least. I'm not there with Miami, and I trust Jimbo Fisher. I, I don't know if you have any overarching philosophies on, on approaching stuff where you're not too sure in the world of uh, point spreads. But I trust good coaches. And I think Jimbo Fisher still, for all he's been through ups and downs, I think he's still a top five coach in college football. Absolutely, and I think I think you got to just look at Florida State's defense, and I I really think that they they are a strong strong unit. 
And if they can, uh, if they can kind of stay off the field and, and manage field position, I mean, ESPN right now, I'm just looking, they have it at Florida State, 62.8% chance to win. So you never know. I mean, you never know with ESPN and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, I would go with Florida State, the home team, rivalry game. I watched that Duke game, and, and you know, as much as they won, Duke had a lot of opportunities that they, they fumbled away. So, we'll, I mean, we'll see, I guess. They did. It was a, a very fascinating game. Uh, we'll see. Miami's got a uh, on a long winning streak, one of the longest actually in the country, dating back to last year, but haven't really played many teams. And the last game I want to get to, Alabama, number one team in the country, taking on Texas A&M. Talk about another team maybe, coach, maybe playing for their coach's job. Bama on the road. The great Alabama. There's no other way to say it. They've just been phenomenal this year. 26.5-point favorites. But yet, are they well, that are they that good that they can cover this with ease? Because it seemed like we've gotten to that point with them. They are an amazing team, and and honestly, their second string is amazing too. But one thing, quick before we get into this, it's unreal that they are uh, that, that their coach is going to be in trouble as four and one record, two and zero in SEC. That's unbelievable. But that, I guess that's SEC football for you. I mean, it's really hard for me to put money against Alabama. I don't know if I would. I don't know if I'd even touch this game because four touchdowns is so much on the road in a game like this. But it's just every time I bet against Alabama, they score like 89 points. Yeah, I would feel more confident going under here, thinking that Bama's D, because that's the unit that's downright scary. They, They control every game that they're in, but you do wonder if Bama just gets the lead and then just gets ultra conservative. Yeah, Bama is that team where if you think, okay, this spread's too big, they just destroy teams. I mean, Vanderbilt, whew, that game was like watching a crime take place. It was tough to see, but I think they're probably going to cover. I'd say they're going to win by about 30 points, as crazy as it sounds. Yeah, and they, uh, you, the one thing I, I realized about Nick Saban is he kind of lets the gas off against non-SEC teams. But when he's playing an SEC team, he's not really as quick to, to call the dogs off, so yeah, you, little- you can never know. Yeah, it's almost like he's a philanthropist. Like when he plays smaller schools, he's just trying to be benevolent and improve his image. But he's he's for the jugglers. Yep. He wants these coaches fired in the SEC. Wow. Right. Exactly. Well, this was fun, Matt Gothard. Um, before I let you go, do you have any pro games? I know we we we've been talking college, but are there any pro games that stand out to you this week with some interesting lines? The NFL has been downright unpredictable. I kind of like it, but I feel a little bit like a sadist when I say that. So, what strikes you uh, from the pro game? You know, the NFL, like you just said, is so hard. I, I made a decent amount of money last weekend and then lost it on NFL. Like, college football is going great. You know, NFL, Jacksonville, you thought they were going to beat the Jets. They didn't beat the Jets. But, uh, you know, I really like the Packers plus two on the road against the Cowboys. I don't believe in this Cowboys team. I think there's a lot going on in the locker room, a lot going on outside of the field. I think the Packers are really starting to hit their stride. Granted, there has been some injuries there. I like them to cover and I also I also really like the Bills to cover plus three actually against the Bengals Mm. I don't think the Bengals are a real team they just played the Browns so yeah they look good but anybody looks good against the Browns so I'd say the Packers and the Bills are two that really stuck out to me this week yeah if you if you really want to live dangerously this is what I would always just say you never know what the Steelers are going to do they play Jacksonville and they just play down to the competition eight and a half is a lot of points for that one I think there's some intriguing matchups across the board, but that Dallas-Green Bay game is the one to look at. I'm, I want to see what happens with Kansas City-Houston, though, because that line is just one point for Kansas City on the road at Houston, and it seems oh. to me like <laughs> I like that Kansas City I didn't even City see team. that. Yeah, minus uh, yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I woke up the dog go there. My, <laughs> I want to go ask the landlord for my rent check back, and then I'll tell her I'll bring back double because – I'll put that all in Kansas City right now. <laughs> 85, it's crazy to me that 85% of the money that what I'm looking at has gone on Kansas City. Uh, and they're still just a one-point favorite. It's one and a half down to one. But this is, hey, you know what? There's always things to watch with college football and pro football. And, and when you watch it through a gambler's eyes, it'll never be the same. You're just, <laughs> you will never watch sports the same. So I do have one final question for you, and that's, should we be thinking individual bets and saving up for a parlay, or are you a big parlay teaser guy? Do you like to just take it one game at a time, or should we go for it all? 
you know, I, I, I love, I love parlays. If you have the right teams, I think, um, last week I got, I got really, really screwed by taking the Titans a part of my parlays. Cause like, you know, you always think you have like those surefire bets. So I think, mm-hmm. I think when you go individual for the NFL, that's the way to go. I think a parlay, it's just so hard to hit more than three games because there's always two to three that are off. But college football, you know, I think teasing is the way to go for sure because it's a little bit more predictable and get a little bit more leniency. But what, what are you thinking? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think I don't, I like to cap it three teams, three games. That's it. I, I do think yep. teasing is a little better than parlay. I think both can work uh, if you have the right, you know, if you have the right strategy. I'll say this though. There's nothing to me. My favorite time for college football to get in on the action is that I think we already passed it that week two to four range when a team has one week and everybody thinks they're good. I'll never forget. This is going to be the year for me, 2017 college football season, that I got on Mizzou. I, I, I won betting against Mizzou as a favorite. <laughs> they were a favorite go. over South Carolina, and that was a real line. Mizzou was a favorite, and they can't do anything right now. So, But <laughs> if you find a team, and, and the biggest the biggest thing I struggle with, giving up the points and going money line is in my heart, but you got to be smart. You know, you, you can't, you, you can't always go money line. It's so tempting to just say, you know what? Screw it. Let's just go for the jugular, but you always get burned and uh, you still do it. Cause you, you have no control. I think that's what binds us all together. No impulse control. Absolutely. You know, one thing I want to tell viewers just one last time, cause I just don't want, I don't want people calling you hating on me for saying the bet on Michigan state. Cause I don't think they're going to win. I just was looking at ticket prices. And the Michigan State-Michigan game, the cheapest available ticket right now is $200. Every other game right now doesn't break 60 So they could be in for a lot of trouble. But um, you got to bet with your heart sometimes. Otherwise, why are you betting? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I agree. I hope your team pulls it off. I'd love to see Michigan miserable yet again. But if it doesn't happen, and, and this is the best compliment, I think the best kind remark anybody can say to somebody that's in the gambling business i just hope that they cover at the end of the day (laughs) (laughs) absolutely yeah at the end of the day i have them six and a half for the over six and a half wins for the for the season so if we could just get there i'd be i'd be really happy all right mac author this was fun best luck with everything we'll try to do this again soon i know you're busy so i do appreciate you taking the time and uh, chopping it up with me on some college football and pro football betting lines absolutely thank you so much mitch That's it for today's show. Big, big thanks to both Brandon Marcus and Matt Gothard for taking time appearing on this show. It means a lot to me, and I hope it means a lot to the viewers out there that we can get some quality guests time in and time out. Thanks again to Brian Nelson for supplying the logo, even though he's a Yankees fan. Tim Adams for supplying the beats, even though he's a Yankees fan. And everybody, i got too many Yankee fans in my life. You know, we'll just put it past us uh, and then you know, go on after the Indians hopefully win. But thanks again to them, all seriousness. Thanks to them. Thanks to everybody for listening. You can find every episode of the Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just search Money Mitch Effect. It pops right up. You can leave a review. You can subscribe. You can rate us as well. I'm a five-star man. No, I just want to point that out. But that's an always sunny reference. i got to throw those in there from time to time. There'll be at least one episode next week. Got some interviews lined up. You're not going to want to miss that. Some guests are heating up on this show. For all of us here, and by all of us, I mean myself, at the Money Mitch Effect, I am Mitch Michaels. Thank you for listening. And until next time, enjoy sports. Enjoy the baseball playoffs. Enjoy that.